Hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode eight of the Gratis Group Chat. I am your host, Kaylee O'Connor. And you may notice today that I am, if you're watching the visual, a little dressed out, a little undone today. That is because I am heading to the airport in about two hours. So I decided I need to get this podcast done before I go because I'm not going to bring all of this equipment with me. So we are doing this pretty quick. I think this will be a shorter episode, but it's kind of an offshoot of last week's discussion. And I'll get into that in just a moment. Last week, we talked about slow fashion and the impact that's counterpart fast fashion has had on not only the industry, but on the environment and the people who create our clothing. After recording that episode, I jumped on a plane and I went to Arizona and I was there until two days ago on Thursday. And it is now Saturday, and as I just mentioned, I am leaving again for Hawaii for a week and a half. And as I was preparing for these flights and thinking about these travels, I really started thinking about how this has kind of become a pattern in the way that I travel. Last year in March, I went to California for two weeks, and I basically went up the coast from the south to the middle of the state. I started in San Diego for my friend's bachelorette party, and then I moved up to Oceanside to visit a friend, and then I took a plane to Los Angeles to visit another friend. And that all happened within a two, two and a half week time span. Then I came home for around two weeks and I went to Dallas for a week in April. Now, maybe the first question you have is how are you able to do that when you work a job? Well, there has to be an understanding. Last year, I had a more flexible work schedule where I was able to take off as much time as I want to. And at this point in life, I still have that option, but I have a very different team and a very different boss. And so the way that I go about that is a little bit different. So last year, I took all of those weeks off of work. This year, I worked while I was in Arizona. So this is officially my out-of-office Hawaii vacation. I'm so excited for it. But I started thinking about this pattern a few days ago when I returned from Arizona. And because the government is always listening to us in our phones, I started to get advertisements about something called slow traveling. And so when I heard this term, I thought, well, I'm really ingrained in the slow fashion movement and the slow living movement. And although my closet would say otherwise, I'm actually pretty minimal outside of this closet situation. And so I thought, well, maybe it's just a new hip term because people are, you know, travel bloggers are new and uh, travel vlogs are a very hip thing to do right now. So maybe slow travel is just a new term I've never heard of. Turns out it actually has roots that go back into the 1980s, which I'll get into in a minute, but I want to start by defining slow travel and then talk about how it came to be. Slow travel is an approach to travel that emphasizes connection to local people, cultures, food, and music. It relies on the idea that a trip is meant to educate and have an emotional impact while remaining sustainable for local communities and the environment. Slow travel is actually an offshoot to the slow food movement, which began in the 1980s in Italy. It was a response to fast food chains wanting to franchise within culture-heavy and tourist-heavy areas. The premise of the slow food movement relies on preserving regional cuisine, local farming, and traditional cooking methods. So similarly with the slow travel movement, the goal is not to quickly load up on passport stamps or to quickly cross off bucket list locations. Instead, slow travel encourages you to see more by moving less, seeking depth and breadth of experience rather than moving through places at a rapid pace. 
So the main goal of slow travel is that it's an opportunity for growth, education, and development. A slow travel trip would ideally last three weeks or more. But because this isn't realistic for at least most of us in the United States who work a 9 to 5, but a lot of people around the world, oftentimes slow travel is marketed to people in retirement. Actually, a majority of the definition I just gave you I got from the AARP website because it is that targeted to older individuals who have time and who have money. Although slow travel does have older roots, there has been a huge trend in it the last two years, which is why I think we're starting to see younger people have the understanding of this term and of this trend a little bit better. Due to restriction recommendations for travel of staying 10 days or longer at a place, and also because of staffing issues that cause places to close sooner or are only open a few days a week, a lot of people have actually adapted to slower travel options because they can get the most out of a trip instead of trying to go to a place for two or three days where they might miss a lot of opportunities simply due to the restrictions or the staffing within that area. And multiple polls for travel agencies and organizations have shown that most people would prefer to stay at a place for over a week instead of going for two or three nights in one area and then moving on to the next area, which we have seen this pattern since 2020, right? The slow movement, slow living. And this also branches out to an overall trend that we're seeing in lifestyle where people don't want to hustle like they used to, or maybe they want to grow their own food instead of buying it from a grocery store. We're seeing a priority of slowness and time and experience over efficiency. And this also goes into traveling because we don't necessarily want to have a go, go, go trip where we accomplish a hundred things at once, then we come home and we have something called tourist burnout where we feel like our vacation wasn't really a vacation. It was just another thing where we had to stay in a schedule and experience a bunch of stuff and cross stuff off of our list and stamp our passport. And so we come home and we feel drained Instead of being in a place where we took everything in and we had a great time and we took time off, we're coming home with this burnout and we're going back to jobs and to schedules day to day that also burn us out. So our travel and our vacations are starting to look really different because people are starting to prioritize different things. So when I think about slow travel, I think about three different options for how someone can be a slow traveler. And the three that I'm going to name today, I have entitled Retirement niche and realistic. So let's talk about retirement. So this is the group that most travel agencies are actually marketing to because they are the people who have no work obligations and they can stay at a place for as long as their time or their budget will allow. But realistically, this involves a small group of the population. It's also very American and European in nature. So this is a very minute experience that most of us probably will not get to experience in the long run. Also to think about, a lot of people want to wait till they are in retirement in order to travel, but when you're older, your body doesn't work the way that it does when you're young, things hurt more than they used to, and you don't have the physical capabilities like you did when you were young. So although this is an option for slow traveling and slow living, I would recommend that you start it sooner. Now the second group that we could talk about is a group I'm going to call the niche group because this is a very, again, niche experience. This is when you work fully remote and have the budget to travel to places for long periods of time. Going off of the singleness podcast a couple weeks ago, I think this also is more catered to single people. Not to say that people with families and children can't do this, but this is much more often a single experience. 
And so a great example of this niche individual would be my friend Lauren, who I've talked about in a previous podcast. She has a podcast as well. It's called Low on the Go, and she stays at a place for two or three weeks at a time and really ingrains in that culture. And she's done this the last year, and she's been able to, and I've loved following her on Instagram and seeing her pictures and her TikTok videos and just everything that she's experienced in the places that she's loved. But if we're going to talk about slow travel and make it accessible to a massive group of people, most of us would fall into the realistic category. And this is when you have a nine to five or for me, a seven to three or a certain allotted amount of time that you have to give to a job. And oftentimes I work remote, but many of you probably work in brick and mortar locations or in offices where you have to be in person or maybe now after 2020, you have a hybrid setup. So this is when you have a nine to five that only gives you a few weeks off every year and you have to do as much as you can in the allotted time in the area that you visit. And I would say that the realistic viewpoint probably encompasses a majority of us who are listening to this podcast. So I started thinking about Hawaii. The trip is already planned. It's eight days and I can't take that back. But what I can do is try and be mindful about treating that trip with a slow travel mindset in the eight days while I'm there. So that's what I want to talk about today is the approach to slow traveling in a realistic timeline. So the first thing you can do to approach a realistic trip with a slow travel mindset is to learn a few phrases or just basics of a language. Most places that we go to will speak your native tongue. And in this case, according to my insights and analytics, most of you speak English. So A lot of the places that we go to, we just expect people to speak English. We have tourist companies and groups, all-inclusive stays where people will speak English to us, and it's very easy. And I think it's just an easy way to adapt to that area and their way of living, which when I went to India in 2017, that was one of the first things we learned. You're not going there to make the Indian people more American. You're going there to adapt to their lifestyle. And so you're not going to be able to probably learn an entire language and every nuance and minute detail of that language, but you will be able to show respect and at least have some basic knowledge for the people living there. And most people outside of France will appreciate that you attempt to do that uh, because I think it just shows respect for them. Another option is if you don't have time to learn the language before you go there, a lot of places have language classes, I am finding. So you can take a basic language class at the beginning of your trip. And if you stay there for an extended period of time, You can use some of the terms that you have learned and some of the basics that you've learned while you're there. Going off of that, let's talk about food because that's where the whole slow travel mindset even originated from. Easy things to do are to eat only from locally owned restaurants, shacks, and markets. So really supporting the local economy with the places that you eat. So not going to big chain restaurants or very Americanized versions of the food there really taking in and again adapting to their culture and what they like because that'll give you a fuller breadth and experience of that area. And going further into that because I love to shop and peruse the markets, you can shop from local creators and artisans and you can support the local economy by fighting the urge to purchase from some big chain souvenir shop that has popped up because that area is tourist heavy. You can instead go to locally owned shops and ask about 
what type of souvenirs they would recommend or what types of pieces are really memorable to them. And similar to the language point, there are often cooking classes in different, especially European areas, where you can take a cooking class and learn some local dishes and bring those home with you. Now, the next point is going to talk more about environment, and we're going to talk a little bit about what you prioritize for this specific point. My advice for this point is that you would choose personal transportation over efficient transportation. So what do I mean by this? A lot of places where you could bike or hike a mountain or a path or a scenic trail, a lot of times they offer you the option to ride a car or a bus up those areas. Not only would this be more environmentally friendly for you to walk it or hike it or bike it, but it also will allow you to feel a sense of accomplishment when you reach the top and you go, wow, look what I just did. So I really enjoy hiking a place and seeing their nature and seeing their scenic views because in the Midwest, we really only have suburbs and sidewalks. And we might, we have a lot of state parks, especially in Minnesota, but you have to drive to those state parks in order to see them. Versus in a lot of areas of the world, you can just walk down the street to a place where they have an incredible scenic hiking trail and be able to do that. And so there's a sense of accomplishment in going against, you know, the incline and the weather and being able to accomplish that and see the end and see the view that you worked hard for. Now, if you're not physically able to do that, that's totally fine. They have e-bike options, they have electronic car options in a lot of places now. So that also is a benefit to the environment in the long run, because even though you can't physically do the work that it takes to get to the top or you have a barrier in that area and it's not accessible, it is now accessible with electronic options. Going off of that as well, you can drive through an area instead of flying from point A to point B. Now you might look at that and say that's less efficient, but when you really think about it, when I drive through a place, I am forced to drive through small towns or to see different areas. Versus when I fly, I can just be very focused on what I'm working on in the plane. I'm not the driver. I don't have to watch anything that's happening around me. And I get from point A to point B. And so there is an efficiency in that. And also some people might value the environmental impact of riding a bus or a train or a plane instead of taking a car because it's only benefiting one group of people or one family instead of a bunch of different people taking one point of transportation. So I understand that way of thinking too. But for me to be able to slow travel and really experience an area, I want to understand what that area has to offer. And I want to see the locals and the local streets and the main streets of that city or that town. I'll also add to that though, I love places where you can walk. I love walking towns. The East Coast does an incredible job with that. A lot of Europe is built off of that way of living. I believe a lot of Asian areas also are. It's the United States that really just messed that up for us. We really decided that we were going to have random suburban areas where we just live and then like miles away we have to drive to shopping centers. And when I went to Boston, this really stood out to me that you can walk down the street and you can get a cup of coffee and that's a local coffee shop. And you can walk to a local place of work and you can walk to your local clothing store. And it's all about the environmental impact and just being able to live in a way in which you feel like you have community around you all the time. And going along with that too, 
the East Coast just does a much better job with trains. Europe does an amazing job with trains. And as you get more and more West Coast, I feel like we do a worse and worse job with having a transportation or a train system. In the Midwest, we have light rails, but they only go to certain areas in the cities and then they kind of stop. And so I think being able to travel to a place where you can have an experience of living in a walkable city for a period of time or being able to take the train somewhere and have it be more still efficient, but being able to see more of what's around you, I think that's an incredible experience that I hope most people go and do. A final way that you can effectively slow travel is by not visiting an area at peak time. Although the weather may not be as ideal in that moment, the local attractions, local businesses, and the native people are still there during that season. And this is a nice way to bridge that economic gap between the busy season and the not busy season for the local economy where you go in a not peak time and you still get all the experience that you would outside of that time, but you're also helping bridge their gap. So instead of having where one part of the year it's incredibly stressful for workers and financially they are overcompensated and then they go into the season where workers are kind of cut loose or they don't get as many hours and they financially are more unstable. So that's a great way instead of having a peak and a drop to even out the local economy. And a lot of times if you go at non-peak seasons, you will get cheaper flights and cheaper stays at places. So it is a win-win for you as well. It's not just benefiting the place that you're going, it's also benefiting you as the visitor. So we've touched a little bit on the benefits of slow travel, but I want to talk about three big things that I think you can take out of having a slow traveling mindset. Number one, Slowing down allows us to meet locals. You won't focus on the people right in front of you if you constantly need to get to your next tour or your next destination. So you should slow down, meet the locals, and get to know the people who inhabit the local area. This may also benefit you because you get to experience the best of the best from the people who live there and have really seen it all for that area. Number two, Slow traveling forces you to go out of your comfort zone because often when we go visit an area for a really specific period of time, we only choose the things that we would find interesting or exciting to us within our realm of comfort. When you spend a significant amount of time in a specific area, you may start to encounter experiences you wouldn't otherwise have. So seeing local wildlife, a lot of places that you visit when you're going as a visitor for a short period of time are going to be places like resorts where they keep animals and wildlife kind of at bay unless you're going on a tour to specifically see them versus when you go on vacation and you stay in a place for a long period of time you may start to see the wildlife, the animals, or the creatures who live around that area or within that home even when you think about staying at a place instead of being there for three days, you may never see the bugs and the animals that are local to that area versus if you stay there for a period of time, you might have to start interacting with them and living in a space where they also live. Like when we went to India, they really revere cows as very high and holy. And so when a cow would cross the street, everybody had to stop driving. And if you were never a driver or you didn't have to walk through an area that had cows within their streets, you may never have seen that. Also being able to go through traffic, I think about India's traffic was really wild. Nobody, there were lanes, but nobody followed them and everybody just did whatever they wanted at whatever speed they wanted. I've also heard that people who go to places like the Dominican Republic have also experienced something like this. So it's just a really 
interesting experience just in your day-to-day existing where again you're adapting to their way of living like for me a cow is a cow like it's not anything important to me but when you go there you start to respect the animals that live in that area because that's what you're forced to do and that's what you're expected to do you may also go to a place that's out of your comfort zone that most tourist places don't navigate you towards So you may get lost in a city and you have to ask for directions. This is another great reason to learn some bits and pieces of the local language while you're there. And this also may cause you to find a hidden gem in an area that tourist sites aren't talking about. Going off of that, also meeting locals. And maybe they invite you to an event or an activity that you wouldn't have normally done. And you find that you really enjoy that place or that activity or hobby and you bring that home with you when you come back to your homeland or your home state and you're able to research that more and find what you can find locally to experience that more regularly than just that trip. Finally, slow travel makes your approach to living outside of traveling very different. When you're on a trip, you can get into that slow-paced, intentional mindset and then you go home and it's go 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 and it's schedules and it's dropping kids off here and it's going to school there and it's going to this job and it's doing this thing and going out to dinner with that person but when you're really intentional about that slow pace and that mindfulness of the area and your surroundings you can also bring that home and really enjoy your home life more because you start to see things that you didn't notice when you were never stopping to look around. Slow travel is a broad, wide topic, and I'm just at the beginning of this and learning the very basics of it. And so I look forward to coming back maybe in a future podcast and going more in depth about how this has changed my perspective and my ability to adapt to that area and to have different experiences that I normally would have. But for now, we're gonna stop here, and I want you guys to take this thought process with you. Even if you're not going on a trip soon, think about just slow living and mindfulness about that intentionality within your day-to-day and being aware of things around you that you don't normally notice because you're moving too quickly to notice them. Let me know below in the comments on the YouTube version or if you're on the Spotify or Anchor version, I believe the poll will be there. Let me know, are you in the retirement age? Are you in the niche way of living where you are able to work remotely from wherever you want for as long as you want? Or are you in the realistic category where you work a nine to five and sometimes it's really tough to be able to go out and travel and talk about maybe if you are in that realistic category, how that changes your way of thinking for travel in the future. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. It's under Kaylee O'Connor or to the gratis group chat on Spotify or Apple podcasts. I will see you guys in the next podcast.